Hello everyone and welcome to this 8th episode of One to Watch. And now this episode is a bit of a special one in that we're not only talking about one film but technically two and perhaps even three. So our main focus is going to be on the film Dune, directed by Denis Villeneuve. It came out last year in 2021. I'm sure hopefully some of you have seen it. Uh, but we're also going to talk about the original Dune, directed by David Lynch in 1984 and the failed adaptation by Jodorowsky, which I don't actually know much about, admittedly. But luckily, I am here with a Dune fanatic, Joe. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, I did actually refer to you as a spice addict, but I don't know whether that mm. is... I don't know if that'll play well if, <laughs> if my UN co-workers would yeah. find this, but uh, uh, so, spice addict, sure. So for those of you who don't know, spice is an integral part of the Dune universe. I mean, I'm assuming if you've seen the Villeneuve film, you will hopefully know what I'm talking about. So it's kind of like... I'll, I'll let you take this one. What what does spice do? Sure, the geriatric spice. Um, they don't ever really specify its exact properties. They just kind of give a laundry list of everything that it can do. Like the the main properties are that it heightens perception. It um, extends life, like in a ridiculous way. Like for example, there's a character in the later books called Miles Tegg, who's depicted as sort of like a gruff, you know, middle aged man, that kind of stereotype, that kind of archetype. But he's like four hundred years old. Wow. It does that. It um, can give you the powers of prescience um, in some instances. Yeah, and... you see some of that in the Villeneuve film. Oh, yeah. Correct. I mean, you kind of see it in both films, but it's done way better. So one thing which I only picked up on... So I watched the David Lynch film last night. I'd never seen it before. I saw a Villeneuve film about five or months ago when it came out. Uh, and one thing I picked up upon with The Spice is they talk about how it's used in space travel so it like you yes. used to fold time or something like that yeah you have um the spacing guild who have these these funny little guys called guild navigators um yeah we were just talking about them they are weird yeah they they are like they are humans technically but um due to like the sort of liquid spice that they've inhaled that's been like shot into their little um tank they mutated in such a way that they now have gained the powers to fold space and time, but they've become this weird blob as a result. Yeah, and you do see some of that in the Lynch film, right? There's like a kind of weird sequence where, I mean, I didn't really know what was going on. I think this is later in the film, uh, where the, the guild navigator kind of goes into this kind of like section of space <laughs> and starts like pinging things out. They never actually describe how that looks in the books. It just kind of happens. Right. Okay. Um, so I guess so it, was, it was quite in, must have been quite interesting to film that kind of thing yeah yeah like there's no precedent lynch can just do his lynch thing yeah and he has the kind of imagination for that as a director so in some respects it's quite upsetting that that film like well ostensibly failed oh in yeah that respect because lynch does seem like the kind of person who has the imagination to like realize the world of june but because of studio interference and various other things it just kind of all went a bit oh yeah we'll get onto this but he does have like pretty good vision yeah it's just that like half the tech wasn't there yet. Yeah. And yeah, he like suffered under the studio. But the um, I'm super glad that he did actually include the Guild Navigators because we didn't see any of that in the Villeneuve version. Yeah. And I was I was waiting for it. I was like, oh, I really hope they bring out like this weird Guild Navigator, but never happened. Because you see it right at the start of the Lynch one, like when it first came in. As I was just saying to you, I thought it was the Baron. <laughs> and i was like whoa <laughs> no the baron's weird but he's not like yeah i really like is, is it alexander skarsgård who plays the baron in the the new one yeah yeah i really like his character like 
the whole floating thing because I, I had never seen that before because like mm. this when i watched this film was my first kind of exposure to june i found that quite comic when i was initially watching it but outside of that i think he really embodies his character well like when he just like emerges when you first go to get getty prime and he like comes out of this like murk yeah it's like, in the no, bar it's so good yeah that was really cool it's way closer to how it's played in the book he's meant to be this like calculating cold kind of guy there is like an element of humor but um it was in the lynch film he's really goofy yeah Yeah, that's like really comic super goofy i guess we should introduce the listeners to like the two ways that you can absorb like the the lynch film there's the standard cut which is what was put out commercially which is like just this real condensed weird version of dune or there's like the spice diver fan edit which is with all the deleted scenes lasts around three hours and is in my opinion like a way more complete version yeah of the 1984 dune obviously makes sense with the inclusion of a lot of the things which like were left in the cutting room floor and i've heard that like so much was cut out of that film oh so much the cast were disappointed about that <laughs> i don't blame them because like even though the the baron in the lynch version is just objectively goofy yeah there were like some moments where it's played a little bit more straight it's a little bit more serious and it brings it together but they were cut in the final 1984 version so you're just left with this weird screaming and the thing about the gaydy prime in the uh, the lynch version yeah it literally looked like they had a green screen around everything, but then they forgot to do like the kind of CGI on top of it. Cause like so much of it is just kind of like, it has like these weird green walls and some of the interiors, they do look cool. And I suppose oh, yeah. I did like the exterior shots, uh, especially, but I think like in the Villeneuve film, I loved that. Like that was my first exposure to go to, I'd heard about Gady prime and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 I didn't yeah. really know what it was, but once it like cuts to that kind of world, like you've just spent, um, is it on, Caladan, Caladan, yeah, yeah, like the trade is world, yeah, Jinx. Yeah, once it like kind of cuts to that, I found that like absolutely amazing. It's just so, I don't know, just so murky, and it really embodies like what the Harkonnens are all about. I think. Yeah, they're definitely two like design philosophies which went into both films. Um, I find a bit to like about both of them, especially knowing the context of the original Dune films production, because a lot of that. like exterior shots that you mentioned on Gady Prime, like that's all done with like this extensive miniature work, which is kind of in the background, like, you know, people don't notice it, yeah. they don't mark upon it. But a lot of the miniature work in the original 1984 Dune is just like amazing. Like when um, a trade, the House of Trades first lands on like Arrakis. Yeah, I found that really impressive. And it's, I didn't even notice initially, because I think the first time when they show it landing, you just see the spaceship come down, but then you see all these little people come out as yeah, yeah it's like yeah it's, 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 done. it's done so well it's like one of the saving graces of the lynch version and i mean it's quite hard to like compete with other sci-fi stuff at the time like star wars which does it like amazingly yeah. but it's still done really well in the original lynch version i think it does deserve some credit for that but i mean it's kind of like marmite with the design choices beyond yeah. that yeah well like the thing about practical effects is they can either go like really well or like they, in terms of aging like yeah, either yeah. age really well or they age really badly mm. and like in some of the films from the period like 2001 a space odyssey that the practical effects in that were done by douglas trumbull who i know when jodorowsky was trying to adapt dune he wanted to get trumbull to do the practical effects and like the miniatures for his dune uh because they, they looked so good in that film and even to this day now like what 50 years on they may still look really good but as you say, yeah, in Star Wars, it's, it's a kind of similar thing where I feel like they, they perhaps aged like a tiny bit more, but 
for the most part they still blend together really well but in this kind of old version of june it is very hit or miss yeah some things like look bad like what things stood out to you as looking pretty bad Oh, what look Go on, listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I didn't really really like the design. I feel like this is just because obviously, as I say, I've seen the Villeneuve film. I really liked the design of like Gady Prime, sure. and, like the Harkonnens, but I didn't like the design of the Harkonnens in the Lynch film. And obviously, like not that that is really down to practical effects. It's more down to costume design than anything. But they just look weird. <laughs> <laughs> they they do look weird, but that's like. I mean, hey, I'm not a big film guy. You'll you'll learn this as we go through this podcast. I've not seen many films and I don't know much about film analysis. But that's Lynch's thing, right? To have yeah. this weird sort of ethereal otherworldliness. Like, um, there are three bits that stick out to me. There's the the cat. I don't know if this is maybe cut out. Oh, yeah. This is in the original one, right? Where Fufa Howard has bought the... The cat and it's like in that kind of weird contraption. Yeah, that's like got all these strobe like, yeah, yeah. red lights on it. You have um, this one scene where Raban, who is another Harkonnen, is going in to meet the Baron, and he's just passing by this sort of like dangling cow, cow corpse, yeah, yeah. and he just like rips a shank off of it to eat. That was a real cow. I read that earlier. Oh, for real? That's that, a yeah, real it was cow. a real frozen cow, and he just rips a bit of it. Jeez. Yeah, I know, it was messed up. Ah, <laughs> uh, what other ones? Um, and also like the general design with like the heart plugs. And the sewing up of the eyes. With yeah, what's, what is the deal with the heart plugs? They're not in the original book. Oh, are they not at all? That's just a Lynch invention. Do you know why? Or I don't know. There's a lot of... hey, Because he drinks the blood of someone, right? At one point in the Lynch film, he literally like rips out and like... Yeah, this is another weird thing. The Baron is played in like a weirdly sexual way. Yes. I will say like this is a minor spoiler. Although it's, it's quite hard to conceive of it as a spoiler because it's done in such a weird roundabout way. But in the later books, the Baron does some weirdly sexual stuff, which I guess does give precedent to him acting this way. Yeah. But still, like, there, there's that moment with, like, the drinking of the blood of the random boy they bring in. There's also another point in the film where um, Sting, as Fade Ralpha, yeah. comes out in, like, the weird, like, metal pan. Yeah, yeah. Well, and... he was meant to be naked. Again, another fun fact. Did you know that? I did not know well, that. Well, it was literally a last-minute decision where they had to come up with that thing, like, whilst they're in the process of filming the scene because the producer said, no, we don't want him to be <laughs> fully naked. But oh, I feel like that maybe... would make it even weirder if he just walked out, like, yeah, that... <laughs> stark It's naked. so funny. No, I, I, would, I want to see that cut. I want to see that cut. <laughs> Give me the willy edit. Um, <laughs> ah, but yeah, they, they have this moment where Sting comes out and just stands there, and the Baron spends like a good minute going like, oh, lovely fade, lovely fade, and kind of like salivating, <laughs> looking at him. He does not do that in the book. Yeah, he does not act like remotely sexual in the book. Yeah, that's the first. thing about some of Lynch's films is they do, they get criticised, especially stuff. I don't know if you've seen these from like Blue Velvet no. review, like that again. That has like Carl McLaughlin in as like the male main character, mm. but there's a character in that. Uh, is it played by? Oh, people who have seen that film, I know who I'm talking about. I was about to say Frank Reynolds, but that's from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, it's a different guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. Yeah, he's he's like very hypersexualized this character. It's very weird. Anyway, going back to June. Sure. Oh, another fun fact. Since you're mentioning Sting, mm-hmm. um, you know Patrick Stewart was obviously yeah. he's in in the film as well. When he first met Sting, he didn't know who Sting was. Okay. And so he knew that Sting was from a band, and Sting told him, "Oh, I'm in the police." Oh. And Patrick Stewart thought he was in a band, 
like a police band. <laughs> like he didn't realize that he was like an actual like. Of course. Oh, and also, oh god, I'm just full of these fun facts. This is the IMDb trivia binge I did before. I'll go for it. Yeah. Morning. Um. So David Lynch, when he got Patrick Stewart on, he didn't realize that it was the actual Patrick Stewart. How can you not realize? I don't know. But Pat, he just thought... Because, again, he was brought in at the last minute to replace someone. I don't know who, but David Lynch thought that it was just someone called Patrick Stewart. <laughs> like, he didn't realise until he turned up on set that it was, like, the actual, like, Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. The film suffers because Sting and Patrick Stewart are in it. Those guys cannot act. Yeah, well, they get, like, phased out, I find, a bit, because it just has so many characters, it's just ridiculous, and the pi- the pacing of the Lynch film is so fast, mm. and I guess that's one thing about, like, with Villeneuve doing it in two parts, Yeah, it makes, it does make more sense, and that is, I think, part of the reason why the Lynch film is potentially seen as being a failure, is because it doesn't explore much of the world of Dune in depth, mm. or at least not in a, in its original cut. Like, I haven't seen the Spice Dive edit, but it does look like it kind of reconciles some of those issues a bit. But, yeah, but I think the Villeneuve film, not that I, I haven't read the books, but mm. I, I do plan on reading at least the first one before the second part comes out sure. of, of the film. But, yeah, I, I think it did a really good job of showing the world and especially introducing people to that world as well because yeah. with the lynch film they literally have this like weird expositional dialogue and like where the film opens with like the floating head like telling you about spice and arrakis and like the different families and stuff like that people love that i i liked don't get me wrong i liked it i liked it in like a kind of like goofy way like i was yeah. like this is cool but then at the same time like when you have to spend like 10 minutes before the film starts like all in <laughs> expositional dialogue explaining the different houses and things like that mm. whereas like it's kind of like a fundamental rule of filmmaking where it's like the show don't tell thing sure where i think in the lynch film and not that this was necessarily his decision that may, they do a lot of the telling whereas in the villeneuve film they do they do it visually and i think it comes across a lot better i do agree with you but there is a reason why lynch does what he does there yeah. it's because like at the start of every chapter in the books you do usually have um, Princess Irulan, who is the floating head you saw, right. giving you like an excerpt from like a fictional history book written about the events of the book. Oh, okay. So it's looking at it from like a retrospective point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, it's it's trying to pay the book some you know homage there. But, ah, I guess. Because um, I guess a lot of these things, like some of the stuff which may have seemed like a weird creative choice for me while I'm watching it, especially in the Lynch version, it's just because I haven't read the book, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, like... like this is this is what we do when we're sitting here. You haven't read the book. I have yeah. read the book. Like we both watch different versions. It's difficult, but um, I mean, it does. Well, we've got fun. the Villeneuve version. We've both seen that. Yeah, that's, there you uh, go. that's our point of reference. Because a lot of the Lynch film, obviously, it does try to condense the whole of the first book into one film. Mm. I'm saying which part? Like that's where some of his problems arise from. But a lot of the kind of Villeneuve version, at least plays off of the Lynch version, which I imagine obviously is taken from the book. Like, a lot of the kind of integral scenes are the same. Like, the hand-in-the-box thing. Yeah, the gum The Benny Gesserit. Uh, and the, where the first scene is sandworm, where there's, like, the kind of spice uh, mining platform and it, yes. it gets attacked. Like, they were played out basically the almost the exact same or very similar in both films, and, like, along with some of the late to scenes as well. But the Lynch film, or at least the Villeneuve film, sorry, the first part of it is only the first two thirds of the Lynch film. Mm. And that's the thing about how people talk about the pacing of that film being really bad in that it's really fast because like what you're looking at Villeneuve over here, who's going to make a whole 
maybe two and a half hour film out of the second part and Lynch tries to condense it all down to 45 minutes when it almost feels like it's just tacked on the end. It, it, it does feel completely tacked on the end and although this edit that I keep on talking about does add some scenes, particularly during the, the battle at the end, it still does not uh, do it justice yeah. and it doesn't give it the time because there's only so much stuff which was actually filmed in the first place that even like in a fan edit yeah yeah i know there's only so much they can draw from um you have to cut out some bits i mean there's some bits even cut out from the books in the villeneuve version like there's um a actually this brings me on to another point which i'll get to in a second but there's a banquet scene um in the books that both Mm. films have not touched and there's a reason for that actually which the lynch film goes into but the villeneuve film doesn't and it's the in the books people are communicating by thought and there are so many like intrusive thoughts that are occurring and are written down on the page that Lynch tries to represent and Villeneuve doesn't. Like, you, you, you probably have noticed this. Anyone who has seen the film would have noticed this, the Lynch film, I mean. But sometimes there'll just be random narration that breaks in, like... Well, I, and I quite like that. I thought it was done quite well. Whereas, like, so? So, I, I quite liked it, yeah. Whereas, like, sometimes there might be a conversation, like, a vocal conversation between two people and especially with um the character of, of like jessica yeah where she's like kind of she might be standing on the outskirts of a conversation but then it will like cut to her and she will like interject with a thought but obviously mm. they can't hear like in the context of their conversation but we can as the audience i thought it was done like quite well at least for a film i mean obviously i'm looking at it in the context of a film which came out in the 80s sure but like, yeah. it is going to be a bit clunky and old but yeah i i, I quite like that I mean, it is true to the books, but I don't know. Villeneuve does well without it. I don't feel like you really need these characters every two seconds going like, "Could it be true?" Oh, uh, I mean, be the yeah, one? yeah. I guess, I guess so. In that respect, it's it's pretty poor. Like, it's like almost forcing the narrative, isn't it? Where it's like, yeah, you're forcing you to indulge in the idea that Paul is for what's what's the word the the quizats haderach yes that that i'll leave it to you to say that. <laughs> well, there are several like funny titles you got the quizats yeah. haderach the listen al gabe is it the moadib as well Wad-Dib. oh yeah i like that <laughs> <laughs> i think we've so we're saying like before we start recording i think potentially the worst film with the pacing of the lynch film and this is hopefully something that part two of the film new film doesn't do it's the fact i mean it speaks volumes that unfortunately i cannot even remember the name of zendaya's character charney charney right right uh, and this is testament to obviously how much she gets phased out of the narrative of like almost both films because yeah. like in at least in the Villeneuve film you can see it as being oh this is all build up for part two like with her character being introduced mm. but in the Lynch film it's literally like she's introduced they look at each other once <laughs> they fall madly in love there's like a sex montage and and yeah. then she, she's in about two other scenes and she like gives him a few kisses and says Paul, I love you. And then that's the extent of her character. It's like absolutely hilarious. Yeah, it's really bad. She's there to like be, I don't know, in the front of Paul's mind's eye, just like a in his visions for quite a bit. Yeah. Like the initial part of the film. And then, yeah, Lay's eyes. There's a bit where McLaughlin is like, Charney, I love you. And they tumble against rocks. It's just really forced. It is really forced. And to be honest, I hope that they do it better with the new film that's coming out. But in the actual narrative, Charney doesn't really become like a key player until Dune Messiah. We're imagining the second part of the Villeneuve film won't touch upon. Oh no, I don't think so. I think they want to make a if they get you know the funding and there's demand. I think they want to do a whole different film for Dune Messiah. Okay. And yeah, there there you'll get plenty of Zendaya screen time, but um, 
I still hope that in this new film they bring out, they do spend a lot of time in that period where they're in the siege of the Fremen. Because yeah. I feel like that's there's some like really cool like shot potential and just like sets that you could do there that no film really has embarked upon yet. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it hasn't, at least not in the Lynch film, it's not realised to like its fullest potential. And that was one of the best thing in my mind about the Villeneuve film is that as someone who didn't really know much about the world going in, not only did it make me interested in the world, mm. but then it also made that world feel so real. Yes. Well, like the It was such an immersive film, both in its visuals and its sound design, that I just was completely blown away by it in that respect. Like I, I When I went to see it in the cinema, even in the sound design, it was just incredible. It felt like some of the times, like where, especially when there's like scenes, you know, like where Paul and uh, Rebecca are kind of being kidnapped and taken away and they're like in that ship sure yeah like the sound design in that scene it felt like when that shift was going off that i was going off with it like it was yeah, really one of done really well yeah way better than hey that's another failure of the lynch version they're just like weird like gilded cages yeah <laughs> whereas they um in the books they're described as almost being like um like insect like um there's a more elegant word to use there but i forget it but they really communicate that with like the wings and that in the um the new version yeah, and the spaceship design of everything, which is awesome. Like, as I say, my favourite part of it is probably KD Prime. Mm. And it, I know it was only a very small part of this film, but just as, like, a location, I was just like, holy shit. And, and looping back quickly to what you were saying about, like, the world feeling real, I feel like Villeneuve does um, the Fremen way better. Like, they yeah. feel like a real ancient people, like a culture that's been there forever. Whereas... In like the Lynch film, they're just kind of like white dudes with face paint, yeah, yeah, and like black suits on. It reminded me. Have you seen Lawrence of Arabia? I have not. Like, it was. I mean, a lot of Dune does remind me of that because uh, it almost has a similar similar narrative away, where it's about like T. Lawrence and he goes out into the desert and kind of joins up with these different tribes and helps them win a war. Sure, which you know is like that. That's a lot of what's going on in the second kind of part of the Dune narrative. But yeah, it it was it wasn't done with much tact, was it, in the Lynch film? Like the idea of this being like the kind of ethnic population of Arrakis, but they're all just white people with like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it kind of does take you out of it. Um, and their eyes are so blue. <laughs> like how holy that shit, kind of mess with the eyes. I like the way they did they did the eyes. Yeah, it it does look good. It looks good. I mm. agree. Um, I guess we could talk about the um the ending of the Lynch film too. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. We could do that. I mean. It's quite hard to talk about this without giving spoilers. So if you're really dedicated to just like going into the last um, part of the Villeneuve film blind, hey, maybe you want to tune out here or skip a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Pat, you can skip. I'll give you permission, listener. But um, <laughs> the Lynch film, they have the whole scene where they break the shield wall with the atomics. They're going up to um, Padishah Emperor. Yeah. And it's played in this really triumphant way. And to be fair, that is my favourite scene from the film i have got the whole speech that paul gives there committed to memory oh my god it is so good <laughs> but at the end correct me if i'm wrong it doesn't it like um rain when yeah, Ali says he is the quiz Tadarag. and then it just ends with a bunch of rain yeah yeah that does not happen in right. the books well in terms of arrakis being terraformed does that yeah. happen arrakis i mean hey a later stage in the books that does happen okay but in that book, Arrakis is not terraformed. It does not cause rain to happen. And the whole way that last bit is played is one of the biggest problems that people have with the film. And it's the reason why that's actually cut out of the Spice Diver edit. 
they mm-hmm. cut the rain bit out completely and um, it just kind of ends with Alia going, he's the Kwisatz Haderach. And there's no like kind of visual reinforcement of that. No, because it's really hard to communicate with this, this with the shots that both the film took. But um, I hope they do it better with the Villeneuve version. The, the I'm whole, sure they will. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole point of the narrative is that Paul is having these visions about a um, holy war, a jihad, that he is going to bring forth by mobilising this Fremen force Yeah, that he cannot really stop. And, and so there's like an undercurrent of fatalism that runs through it, right? Yeah. But it's yeah. like he's aware of his own fate in a way. Yeah, like um, the whole thing with the spice that he takes, giving him prescience, and of course him being the Kwisatz Haderach, who has the power to like recall memories through their matrilineal and patrilineal yeah. line. Like he has all this stuff that allows him to see into the future and see the path that he's taking. And he knows that it's going to lead to the death of millions, if not billions. But he's doomed to take it. Yeah, he feels powerless to kind of stop it in a way. Especially with like, and this is something we were talking about last week when we mm. had a like, kind, of, kind of long conversation about it. With the, the Bene Gesserit, the idea of them manufacturing this kind of profit. Yes. Really interesting. And it's like a, though it is like, in a way, it's like eugenics. Like where they, especially with how they, they wanted Rebecca, uh, Atreides, yes. to have a daughter. But then she has, she defies them and has Paul, right, as a son. Jessica, yeah, she... Um... Not Rebecca, Jessica, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> so... Rebecca Ferguson, that's what. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, yeah, Jessica, um, to complete the Bene Gesserit breeding program, which goes on through generations, she was meant to give birth to a daughter, um, which would then be married with Fade Ralpha. Yeah. And then... I don't envy her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, thank you. And then they would give birth to the Kwisatz Haderach. But because oh, Jessica loved Leto so much, she thought, no, I'm just going to I'm gonna do it now. But there was some danger there. It could have not produced the Kwisatz Haderach and it could have split the lines completely. But eugenics is a big theme in the books. And um, there is like a faction which isn't really covered in um, the first book, but it will be covered in the second book and maybe in the future Doom Messiah adaptation if that comes. Mm-hmm. But there's another group called the Benitlalax, which are essentially the, the analogue of the Bene Gesserit where they're these weird, like, um, goblin men who um, have these things they call the axolotl tanks, where they can essentially, like, clone and generate people. That is pretty cool. Yes. Um, so it, it's not as if the Bene Gesserit are the only instance where um, all this genetic engineering and eugenics happens. Like, throughout the whole film, this is a theme, and this keeps on happening. And once again, I hope that we get the Dune Masara adaptation so we can see some of like the Tleilaxu planet yeah and that'll be a few years off yeah bro and that's one thing with like the Atreides I guess this is partly the point in terms of like they're the people you're meant to like kind of root with in the the course of the film they are like very much identifiably human whereas when you go to like the house Harkonnen Mm. and you look at the Baron like sure he's a human but he's monstrous yeah he's (laughs) huge he's like um He's not depicted like he's always been depicted as like grossly large. Yeah, but he's not as disgusting in the books as he is in the Lynch version, where he's like all pussy. Oh yeah, he's, yeah. Like, got all this stuff going on. Um, that gave me the willies. Especially <laughs> <laughs> when he's like sucking people's blood out of them. Yeah, and once again, another thing that is not in the books. Oh, there's also another bit of called cool, like Lynch edition where they have um, 
that like capsule which has like a I can't remember it's like a rat or it's like some sort of small oh, creature yeah. in the bottom and like you press it down and it like they squash it and then drink it yeah <laughs> like once again just something weird that he's come up with I don't think they're ever referred to as inhuman but it does they're you know the theme is that they're inhuman they're weird aberrations that's why in the Villeneuve version they have the weird spider guy like remember that that when there's some gay oh you that was like the one. Oh no, I think I do actually, like very vaguely. It's like yeah, the eyes just like retinal. just crawls out like <laughs> yeah. from the darkness. Once again, not in the books, but it's communicating the same thing as the Lynch film does. That these are weird, inhuman, immoral, etc. Exactly, but not even just physically; it's morally as well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. are like the moral antithesis to like the House of Trades, where like people look at Leto as being this like embodiment of like almost like chivalry in a way like he comes along yeah and there's a bit in the lynch film where i can't remember the character who says it but when they go and like rescue the miners from the um well the mining station mm. like when the worm comes and attacks the guy's like oh i i can't touch it i like this you, yeah, yeah i literally made a note of it i must admit against all better judgment i like this duke yeah that's me he's the um the fremen but he's also like the um what they call it? Is it called like the counselor or the chancellor yeah. of the change um, for the emperor? It's because like he, what he prioritizes their lo- lives over the spice production, right? Yeah, like yeah, you know yeah, the yeah. house Harkonnen, they're completely ruthless. Where you know, like you know, they wouldn't be doing that kind of thing. Well, yeah, it's the point. The Baron said to Ravan, like you need to squeeze, squeeze. Once again, it's another instance where the Baron is played really weird. They have this character that's meant to be cold and calculating, just like squeezing the cheeks <laughs> of Ravan while he's eating this like hunk of cow meat. Oh, also, did you notice on the Spice Harvester, uh, in that scene I was just talking about, they have in the Lynch from David Lynch, is the person. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. I didn't recognise no, him. No, he's, I mean, he's all like kind of spiced up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was him. I mean, I'm not, I didn't like fact check this, but I, I recognise the guy. So I was like. I mean, I didn't even recognise it as him. I probably should have. Because he has like that kind of back and forth dialogue, like where they cut to like the spy station. We're like, Worm and Baum. Yeah, Worm and Baum. Yeah. yeah, I love that bit. Yeah, that was Lynch. Oh, can we talk for a few minutes about, before we go into like the concluding section, the Jodorowsky film? Oh, yeah. Because it sounds like one of the most insane films that never came to be. I'm not convinced that he wanted to make it, because he made it so stupid. Yeah, yeah, but you just think this is quite clearly never going to get made. Yeah, to me, it feels like he wanted to make a Dune adaptation at first, and he's like, right, I need to really push the boat out yeah, so yeah. nobody makes this. I like, mean, I've never seen a Jodorowsky film, have you? I've seen clips of like the Holy Mountain. Yeah. Well, so as have I. That's my exposure, and that is weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would have loved to see it, but it does. If the Lynch film changed the story, the Joe Dorowski film completely is going to change the story. Oh yeah, I would. I would also love to see it. Like, I would bankroll this adaptation <laughs> simply for how sheerly insane it sounded. Like, it was what it was due to be between ten and fourteen hours yep. long. Uh, it had Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger, Salvador Dali. Yeah, he's going to be the emperor. It's gonna have a soundtrack by Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah, it sounded really cool. There was an there was a scene in it where two thousand extras defecated on the floor, <laughs> <laughs> apparently. Which, like, no wonder this didn't get made. <laughs> yeah. Um, instead of Leto, once again, spoiler everyone. Um, instead of Leto just dying, they were gonna have this whole thing about him being emasculated. Yeah, he was castrated right by a bull. Yeah, yeah. It was gonna be something like that, and they're also gonna have this scene where he's like in a um. I don't know, like a harness, and he's being held oh, up, yeah, and, and he's going to cut off. every single one of his limbs, which, God, that would have been horrible, but um, completely changes the story. And then Jessica comes and puts them all back together and has sex with him. 
I don't know if you know about that, but... I, they pay. I've seen the documentary, but I probably forgot. Isn't there also, like, at the end, everyone becomes Paul, and then yeah. they, like, ascend to a higher Something plane of like consciousness? That, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, like, it's weird. no longer Dune, but it just sounds so cool and crazy that I kind of like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of want this film to exist, but I also don't... Well, that would have been the first Dune adaptation, right? Because this was, like, yeah, it back in the, the mid-70s, pre-Star Wars, even. Yeah. I mean, it was so influential, and that's one of the important things about it. Yeah, it's what everyone credits it for. Like, it had... Um, is it Mobius? Like, yeah. Got him on the scene. And H.R. Giger as well. Yeah, like Bannon, who obviously went on to make Alien. Ridley Scott was involved as well uh-huh. at some point, and that's how we first met those people. So were it not for that, perhaps we wouldn't have... Star Wars, Alien, and all these other, like, kind of... Even Blade Runner yeah. as well. Well, when Ridley Scott was originally due to direct the Lynch film, mm. uh, like, the kind of 80s version of Dune, like, after the Jodorowsky adaptation kind of fell through, but then he went on to make Blade Runner instead. Sure. Because of, like, various kind of conflicts he was having yeah. with people. I don't know if this is um, Jodorowsky being, like, um, full of himself. But he did probably. I know that is like his thing. But he did say that like throughout all these different studios, the art book that he had made for the film was like passed about. Yeah. And you can see its influence kind of echo out through all these different sci fi classics of that era. So yeah, it was really influential. Weird guy though, strange yeah, guy. Yeah, he's um, a bit of a weird guy. I don't know much about him, but he's done some bad stuff he in does the past. Some good, yeah. Yeah, so I guess on that note, unfortunately we will stop talking about June. It's been a great conversation. I'm always interested in talking about it. Especially with someone like you, who's who is knows a lot. Hell yeah! So perhaps to finish us off, we will talk as we usually do about some films we have seen recently. Whether you liked them, didn't like them, I want to hear about. <laughs> okay, well I'm gonna dumb it down. I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring it back around to I don't know where I'm probably more comfortable. Turning Red Man. Yeah. I love that film. Yeah, please tell me about this because I saw it and I kind of I, we were talking about it last week again. Yeah. While I was kind of in the middle because I didn't really feel as if I could relate to it, but. You did. I did. It's good. People, um, yeah, people give it a lot of um, shtick for being like this cal. You know, um, you know, cal arts. No. Okay. Well, it's like an animation studio out of California. Um, it does like quite a lot of hit kid shows. Oh, I think I recognise his style. Yeah, like, I can like see what you mean. Steven it. Universe, yeah. Amazing World of yeah, Gumball, yeah. like that kind of like bean mouth. That's yeah. the main thing that people say, and you're like, oh, it looks like that, but animated. It looks so good. I don't understand why people take issue with it. It's so colourful. It's so vibrant. Yeah. And I think they have been on a kind of upward trajectory with the animation, which is like obviously what you would expect. Like, especially in Seoul. Not to like change the conversation, but in Seoul, I found the animation really impressive. Hmm. And I I could see a similar thing in this film as well. But like, I don't think it was as like fine grained as Seoul. But that's fine. Like, it doesn't really take away from the film. I mean, it's like a benefit for me. I thought it was really good, but um, it isn't necessarily the make or break. I just thought the narrative yeah. was really cute. The way that the characters interacted with one another, it was just really comic, really sweet. And oh, yeah, it definitely was a fun film. Like, oh, yeah, I, I was so enjoying fun. myself when I was watching it, but then at the same time, I didn't like quite give myself over to it like I have in some other Pixar films. Oh, no, I was I was all for it. I was... I was in that world rooting for mailing like by the yeah. end of it. But like I can't dissuade you from that because I know my perspective is just linked with me being a cantankerous old bastard who was just <laughs> sitting there like like I know that I should have been enjoying this film more, but I just wasn't. Perhaps I just wasn't in the mood. Yeah, no, activate your inner child, let yourself go a little. Yeah, bit. that's what I needed to do. Well, anything else? I am not big on films. I can't. I literally can't think of anything apart from that complaint I had about Red Notice. Oh, do yeah. not watch Red yeah. Notice, <laughs> listeners. They misrepresent the work of Interpol. It's a silly film. It's just another rock film. 
do yourself a favour, watch Dune or Tony. It's Redding's interesting there. how The Rock is like almost a franchise in himself now, isn't he? Yeah, the man's like, an industry. He has, yeah, he is his own industry. Give that guy a jungle and he'll do any <laughs> film ever. Give him a selection of giant apes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's that's all I've got to talk about via films. We'll have to come back to do the, I don't know, the Villeneuve Part 2 special or something. I w- I'd love to do it. I mean, I guess one thing I'd, I'd like to talk about, I was kind of talking about it a bit last week, not with you, mm-hmm. but have you heard of the film The Last Jewel? Like, it's a Ridley Scott film. The Last Jewel? No. It's quite an interesting film because it's set in the 1300s. It's set in France. Okay. And it's about, I don't know if you, have you ever heard of or seen the film Rashomon? It's like an old Japanese film. If there's any film listed, the likelihood is I haven't seen it. Well, so like what Rashomon does is it tells this story about a like a kind of murder, and it's from four different perspectives. So like the people who are involved, and that's how the that it came out in the fifties. So it was one of the first films to kind of do this. Sure. And the Last Jewel does a similar thing where it's it's based on a true like historical event, and it's uh, the rape of like a kind of French noblewoman. Who's, who's married to a knight, who's played by Matt Damon, of all people. But, but played well, played well, I and will does say. And on a French accent? No, that, that's oh, one funny thing about the film, on. is no one has a French accent, and it's like... Um, so, like, it's, it takes place from these different perspectives, where... So, first up, you have... So, he is called the He is called Jean Le Carrier. Well, I probably completely butchered that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, he's like a kind of knight. He serves a king, I think it's King Louis the Fourteenth or something. Probably not again. One of those. This is, this is like riddled with historical inaccuracies. This description. It's fine. But yeah, so basically, his wife at some point in the film is raped by another squire, who he like kind of has like this kind of history with, and then the film is about more about her struggle to get justice in a justice system. But the the only way that she could actually get justice for this rape having been committed against her yeah. was to enlist the help of her husband who was a knight and they had something what's called a judicial duel and it was the last judicial duel in france where it's basically like so let's say you have a case such as this one uh-huh. where it's basically a matter of like one person's word against another and there's no evidence either way which there wasn't like in this instance they basically decide the case by a judicial duel because so they pit the two men against each other oh so, sorry this whole time I thought you were saying duel, like, As in like diamond. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like okay, so yeah, yeah, duel, okay, okay. Yeah, so they pit the two men against each other and they basically have to fight to the death and their kind of doctrine is, oh, because of divine providence or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoever wins this fight is clearly in the right. because the grace you know, of God. Yeah, because exactly, they must have won with the grace of God, right? So it comes down to this kind of, like, as you get to the climax of the film, she's in the position where if her husband doesn't win the fight not only does he die mm. she will be burnt alive because clearly if her husband didn't win you know she must have been lying, She's lying. you know exactly she's some sort of witch or something yeah no, probably yeah it's, it's it was really interesting like the whole concept of a judicial duel in general was was quite good and the fact the sort of film like does kind of build up to that but it does it in quite a nuanced way where you go sure. through and look at like the event from different perspectives and yeah, and just the duel itself, like this is definitely not the way to look at this film, but the actual fight choreography of it is amazing. Duels are interesting. I don't know if this is a bit of a non sequitur, but um, the history of duels, there's so many instances in different cultures that they've come up, and like even into the relatively modern day, there was this practice in um, like Weimar Germany in student clubs mm. where um, it was a really common thing for um, most like men to have like a rapier. 
um, and like on a night out, not necessarily <laughs> out of like any ill will, you would um, just have like a sort of helmet on that would cover half of your face, like from the nose upwards. And you would have your rapier and you'd be facing across somebody and you'd just start swinging at them while standing in place and just see who sort of like backed out first. And you'd have all these scars over the lower half of your face, but they were, you know, rites of passage and... You know, they were seen as like, oh, you got look at all these scars. You must be a super good fighter. Sounds like a good night out. Yeah, so I'll make a film about that that sometime. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make it happen. Yeah. On on that strange note, I think we will end the podcast here. But it's been an absolute pleasure, as I say. Thank Uh, you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming around. Uh, Have a good day. And you. I mean, you are you are staying here. That's probably not the way to go. Suspended belief. They don't know that. Uh, Yeah. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you for listening. And yeah, goodbye.